man, more like the master I would ever be. That's great. And we're going we're gonna to look a, a little bit about that tonight in the message, being more like Christ, being more like our master. Matthew chapter 9 in your Bibles. Matthew chapter 9. A passage here that talks about Jesus' ministry um, really just peels back the layers that, are, that might be hiding Jesus' attitude toward people and just exposing bare exactly how God felt toward people, how he ministered toward people, and also how he encouraged other people to minister toward others. Um, Matthew chapter 9, we're going to start in verse 35. Verse 35 says, And Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, and preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion on them, because they fainted and were scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. Then saith he unto his disciples, the harvest truly is plenteous, but the laborers are few. Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest, that he will send forth laborers into his harvest. Verse 1 of chapter 10. And when he had called unto him his twelve disciples, he gave them power against unclean spirits to cast them out, and to heal all manner of sickness and all manner of disease. Let's pray before we get started. Father, we do thank you for this passage of Scripture and how applicable it is to our lives. Thank you for giving us the testimony of your compassion toward your people. And I pray that tonight you would use my words, that you would fill me with your spirit, and that, as the lady's just saying, you would make us more like the Master. Help us to take a few tidbits from this passage, be able to apply it to our lives, and I pray, pray it would make a difference in each and every one of our hearts. pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Are you a compassionate person? If I ask each of you individually that question, I think I get a lot of responses. Uh, I know I'm related to some people that would tell you that they're not compassionate at all. Uh, a, lot of, a lot of varied responses that we get from that. Some of you are the type of person that if you saw somebody trip over a piece of furniture, or a chair, or something like that, you'd go over there and you'd, you'd pat them down, you'd make sure they're okay, you'd help them up off the ground. Are you okay? Are you fine? Anything that I can do for you? And you move the, move the chair back where it's supposed to be. And I'll Others of you would be the type that would go over there, make sure they're okay, proceed to laugh at them, and then help them up and make sure that they're, they're okay. That, uh, we, we've got a lot of different people in this room, a lot of different uh, opinions in that matter. Uh, we're we're going to be looking tonight at about um, the compassion that Christ had. How did he relate to other people? How did he see other people, and how did that affect his life? So we're going to start there in verse 35. Let's read that one more term. Chapter 9, verse 35. It says, And Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, and preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. Verse 36, But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion on them, because they fainted and were scattered abroad, sheep having no shepherd. Uh, we'll, we'll see, first of all, that Christ saw the problem. 
Christ saw the problem with these people that he was ministering to, namely the people in Israel here, uh, the Jews, who were supposed to be living for God. These people were supposed to be accepting of the Messiah and welcoming the Messiah. But he saw something different in these people. These, these were not a unified people. He saw a problem with them. First of all, they fainted. They fainted. Uh, that word faint means to lose heart, to become discouraged, or to become weary. Jeremiah 50 and verse 6 says, My people hath been lost sheep. Their shepherds have caused them to go astray. They have turned them away on the mountains. They have gone from mountain to hill. They have forgotten their resting place. I love how that verse uses the word resting place. Um, it's the thought of uh, a place of security, a place where you are rejuvenated, one where you can seclude yourself from the difficulties of life. And the Bible says here that the lost sheep of Israel had forgotten their resting place. In other words, they had become weary. They had become tired. They had become discouraged. I don't know about you, but when I look around at people, maybe I go to Walmart or something like that, and I look around at the people around me, I don't normally see a lot of excited, happy people around me. I don't, I don't know if you've caught on to that at all. But it seems like a lot of people that I pass are weary, a lot of people are discouraged. Sometimes they're angry. I, I don't know. Heidi and I just saw a, a lady the other day that had picking up a child, looked like by her legs, and she was just trying to carry this child, and the child's screaming and all this, and it was, it, it was quite the scene. Um, but a lot of angry people out there, a lot of people that have forgotten their resting place. And that, that's what Jesus saw when he saw the people around him. He saw, wow, these people have become discouraged. They've become weary. They, they need something. Um, secondly, they, they were scattered abroad. They, they, were, they fainted and they were scattered abroad. This carries the idea of actually being left to your own resources, being scattered abroad. No, no longer are you depending on the shepherd for your resources. You're actually depending on yourself. You've been scattered abroad. You're doing things in your own strength. And I know, yes, we can think about many people that we pass each day that are trying to do things in their own strength. And I know even for, even for us, it's very easy to do. Uh, whether, whether it be in sports, whether it be in our ministry to other people, even visitation, even, even things that we try to do for God. How many times do we try to do those things in our own strength? We are scattered abroad. We're depending on our own resources. I can do this. You know, I've, I've been in this church for so long, and I, I know how to do this ministry, and I can do this. And sometimes we get so accustomed to doing things for God, or even, even if it's not necessarily for God, maybe it's in some sort of competition. Maybe it's in some sort of um, community get-together or something. Sometimes we just become so accustomed to be doing things on our own, that we forget to ask God for his help and his guidance. Well, this is the people that Jesus saw that day. He saw people like that. They were scattered abroad. They were, they were uh, depending on their own resources. Lastly, they had no shepherd. And uh, the word shepherd there is, is just the same as pastor. It literally means a pastor, a leader, someone who leads his flock. So they, they had no shepherd. They were scattered abroad with no shepherd. Turn over to Numbers. Keep your, keep your finger there in Matthew, but turn to Numbers chapter 27. 
look a little deeper into this about um, the shepherds that God has given us. Numbers chapter 27, and we'll start in verse 16. 27, 16 says, Let the Lord, the God of the spirits of all flesh, set a man over the congregation, which may go out before them, which may go in before them, and which may lead them out, and which may bring them in, that the congregation of the Lord be not as sheep which have no shepherd. Again, the same idea as talking about here of these people that they don't have someone to lead them, to go in before them, to go out, and to show them the right paths. And this is the, this is the model that God has set up for the church. You know, pastor's been talking a lot about the church and the different roles that we have in the church. And one of those roles is to have a pastor. And I am so thankful, and I know you are as well, for a good godly pastor that God has put in charge here at Fostoria Baptist Church that will lead us and bring us in, bring us out, show us the way that we should go. What a blessing it is to have a good, godly pastor that you know is going to lead you in the right paths. These people that Jesus was ministering to, they didn't have that. They didn't have, they were not submitting themselves to that biblical role of the pastor that God had designed them to be. Instead, they fainted. They were scattered abroad. They were sheep having no shepherd. They, they had no pastor to lead them. So Christ saw a big problem with the people surrounding him. He saw that they had a need. There was a problem there. Secondly, Christ acknowledged the need. He looked at these people. He didn't just see a problem, but he saw these people have a real deep-seated need. And Christ acknowledged that need in verse 37 of Matthew chapter 9, verse 37. Then saith he unto his disciples, The harvest truly is plenteous, but the laborers are few. That is quite the need. First of all, the harvest truly is plenteous. What is he saying there? Well, John chapter 4, 35 says, Say not ye, there are yet four months, and then cometh harvest? Behold, I say unto you, lift up your eyes, and look on the fields, for they are white already to harvest. The Bible says that it's not a waiting game here. When we look on the fields, we look on those around us. We're not to wait and say, well, someday maybe I'll be able to reach those people. Or someday I'll get serious about, about reaching the lost. Someday I'll become a great personal evangelist that will reach my neighbors for Christ. Someday I'll go over to that neighbor down the street and I'll talk to them about God. The Bible says the fields are white, all ready to harvest. That means that they are ready, they are ripe. And there are people around us every day that need God. And they maybe have never heard, they maybe have never heard that Jesus Christ loves them and he died for them. Think about that. Think about that need. Those people around you, Jesus saw that need. He said the harvest truly is plenteous. But there's a second part of that. The laborers are few. Heidi and I spent the summer, last summer, in Canada. Uh, we were ministering at a camp up there, and uh, uh, actually in the province of Nova Scotia. Nova Scotia is a small enough province that you have um, a relatively few churches that would believe the same as we would believe. 
Um, and all of those pastors were very scattered. As you can imagine, you'd have, you know, one on the south coast, one in the west, one in the north, and uh, those few pastors would really try to spread the resources, and, uh, but they would need a little bit of time when they could get together, when their congregations to get to, could get together and minister to one another. Uh, and you may have visited uh, camp, uh, Forest Glen Bible Camp up in Nova Scotia before, and uh, what a blessing it is to see those people that, you know, most of the year, they're kind of secluded, they're, they're kind of on their own, but then they get together, those small congregations, they get together and they'll, they'll fellowship at that Bible camp in Nova Scotia, and that, that's a beautiful thing to see, um, that they're up there. But while we were up there, uh, we, we were talking to some pastors, and we began to sense a need up there among the pastors, uh, just, a, just kind of a common burden of those people and as we talk to them further, um, there, there is such a great burden of those pastors for more laborers up in that harvest field because there are so few churches. In Nova Scotia alone, I'm not sure how many good Bible-believing churches there are, um, but uh, the number that I heard, if, I, if I'm remembering correctly, the number that I heard was in all of Canada, that's every province in all of Canada, there are around 300 Bible-believing churches. And I may not have that number exactly right, but it was something akin to that. And I think of, you know, the Bible Belt here in the United States. I think maybe even just South Carolina. We, we've ministered there in South Carolina a little bit in the past. And churches on every corner, so many. We, we probably have, you know, 300 Bible-believing churches in South Carolina alone to minister to the people of the United States. But you think of all of Canada, how big that is, and how many people are just scattered abroad there. The harvest is plenteous, but the laborers are few. And I'm not just singling out Canada tonight. There are so many harvest fields in this world that do not have laborers. They don't have people to minister, to reap that harvest. And we have people going over to the Philippines and finding people who are ready to hear the gospel. They're excited about hearing the gospel. We have people going to Papua New Guinea with the word of God, passing out the word of God to people that want the scriptures. That's an exciting thing. And that shows us, hey, even in our time, in Jesus' time, yes, but even in our time, in our century here, we have a lot of harvest fields that are ripe. People are ready to be saved. They just need to hear the gospel. We need more laborers. So Christ saw the problem. Christ acknowledged the need. Thirdly, Christ identified the remedy. Christ saw that there was a, there was a solution to this. There is a remedy to this need, and that's found in verse 38. Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest that he will send forth more laborers into his, sorry, send forth laborers into his harvest. The answer, the remedy to this is twofold. It is prayer and it is simply more laborers. Something that all of us can do is pray. We, we don't have any issues or any difficulties. We don't have to travel to pray. We don't have to give money to pray. Uh, every moment of every day, we can be in prayer. And this is one of the things, uh, I appreciate Heidi's dad actually did a study on uh, the things that God commands us to pray for in his word. And it, it's a neat thing. He gave me the list of all these different things that God has commanded us to pray for. And one of those commands here is Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest, that he will send forth more laborers into his harvest. And God commands us to do that. He commands us, I, I want you to pray for more laborers in my harvest. 
Second Thessalonians 3.1 is a plea from Paul that his fellow saints might pray for him. It says, Finally, brethren, pray for us that the word of the Lord may have free course and be glorified even as it is with you. So Paul was even asking his fellow Christians, please pray for me, pray for the ministry here, and pray for the gospel, that it would be glorified in the eyes of those that are hearing it, in the ears of those that are hearing it. Would you pray that the gospel would be furthered, and that you, my ministry would be effective for God? And I think that's a wonderful thing, even, even praying for pastor. I hope that you pray for pastor every day. I hope that you're praying for him specifically, that God would have his hand on him physically as well as spiritually, emotionally. So many difficulties that a pastor goes through on a day. I know it's so easy. Even I don't feel like I do anything compared to what pastor does for this church. And sometimes I'll be at the end of the day and I'll just be drained. And I'll think, wow, there's so many things going on, so many things you have to think about. And I see that in pastor too. And I, I, it's just more of a motivation to pray for him that, yes, the gospel would be furthered through him, but that God would have his hand on him emotionally and spiritually and physically, that he would help him. And I think that's one of the most important things that we can be praying for, is for our shepherd, the one that leads us. So Paul, Paul asks that prayer of his people. Um, back in verse 38, it says, uh, pray the Lord of the harvest that he will send forth laborers. That, that word send forth is the same idea of throwing a ball. Um, it, it would have the idea of just throwing something or casting something uh, out, out into the harvest field. Uh, I think that's neat. It's not necessarily, sometimes we get the idea of missionaries that, you know, they go over to the foreign field and, you know, they don't have, they don't have a lot to do over there and they come back on furlough. And, you know, it, it, sometimes we get the idea, uh, a wrong idea of those laborers that are in the harvest. Um, but really the biblical model here is the, that the missionaries are being cast out into the harvest. It, it's an uncomfortable thing. It's something where they have to get outside of their comfort zone, just like we were hearing about this this morning uh, with, with the Hostetlers here, how they've pretty much been thrown out into the middle of this completely different culture, and they've had to adjust to so many different things. Heidi and I had the opportunity to talk to them over lunch, uh, and just the difficulties that they go through. You know, they don't complain about them, but you know, it, it is difficult on them to be in a completely different culture with different people, having difficulty speaking their language. I know if I went to a different country and I couldn't talk to people, that would be a problem for me. I would find that very difficult to have that language barrier there. And I, I know it is for many of our missionaries. But it's an idea of becoming uncomfortable, being cast out into the harvest. I think of the comforts of the U.S. Uh, we are a very comfortable people. Uh, I, just all the technology, the things that we've become accustomed to here, we get very comfortable. I was looking up some of some new inventions that have come to pass over the last decade or so. Some things that just make us more comfortable. Uh, some of them are a little bit ridiculous. Uh, like uh, I looked up battery-operated scissors. So instead of doing this motion, you get battery-operated scissors, so you don't, you don't have to go to all the trouble of squeezing your scissors. Um, they've come out with an automatic dog ball thrower. In case you're not fit enough to throw balls to your dog, you have a little machine that throws balls for you. Um, they have a pet petter. In case you don't want to pet your pet, you just buy this little pet petter, and it'll pet your pet for you. A little bit ridiculous. 
Um, now here's something that I would, I've sometimes wished I would have. They've made these prism glasses that have little mirrors in them where you actually look through them and it points straight down so you can lie down and read at the same time. And it actually diverts your line of sight down so you can lie down and read at the same time. That's what they're designed for, so you can read lying down. Um, now here's, here's one that I, I'm a little bit tempted to get. Uh, they have an inflatable pillow necktie for when you're in the office and you want to take a nap. <laughs> you just pump up, your, pump up your necktie and you can just take a nap right there on your, on your pillow necktie. We have become very accustomed to being comfortable. I don't have to do the work. Other things are going to do the work for me. And I, I think that, that passages like this kind of open up that door and say, wait, am I becoming too uncomfortable? Am I allowing God to throw me out into the harvest field to get uncomfortable for God? And I hope you're willing to do that. I hope you're willing to set aside some of those comforts so that you can reach out to those that are around you. Maybe you'll have to give up a little bit of your personal time. Maybe you'll have to um, gain the courage, to get up the courage to talk to somebody that you're a little bit afraid to talk to. Are you willing to get out of your comfort zone so, you, so that you can minister to God, for God, more effectively? We need to take that seriously. Lastly, uh, we saw Christ saw the problem. Christ acknowledged the need. Christ identified the remedy. Lastly, Christ took part in the solution. And I think this is the important thing that we need to think about tonight. How did Christ take part in the solution? He didn't just see, all right, there's a need and there's a remedy, but I'm not going to get involved. No, if anybody was the example for us in this instance, in this area, it was Christ. He took part in the solution. Chapter 10, verse 1. And when he had called unto him his twelve disciples, he gave them power against unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal all manner of sicknesses and all manner of disease. Uh, How did Christ get involved in this remedy? Well, first of all, he himself was in the harvest fields. You'll see that all through the New Testament, how Christ was constantly ministering to other people. He never got comfortable. He even told other people that were wanting to follow him, he told them, I don't have any place to lay my head. I don't have a place to call home. I'm constantly on the run. I'm, I'm constantly in, in transit. I'm, I'm moving from place to place. Christ was very uncomfortable a lot of the time, I, I, I can imagine. I imagine he found some places to sleep that were less than desirable. I, I imagine he stayed with some people that uh, made it a little bit difficult for him. I know when we were, Heidi and I were traveling on Ensemble for our school, we have some interesting stories of people that we got to stay with. Uh, and, and some people just make it a little bit difficult to be comfortable. Um, but I can just imagine, you know, when Jesus is running from these Pharisees, from, not necessarily running from them, um, but he has to watch out and be on his guard for these people that want to kill him, that's a little bit uncomfortable. Imagine he stayed with some people that didn't necessarily uh, make it easy for him. And so Jesus was out in that har- those harvest fields. He was doing the work himself. Uh, secondly, he, he trained disciples to take his place. This is how he was involved in the remedy. He trained disciples to take his place. Um, 
reminds me of the time that Jesus was in the garden praying. I, I love how Jesus went out to a garden to pray. Many times you find him in a garden praying. And just, just, I love enjoying nature. I love being out in nature and being able to pray to God there. And this is what Jesus did. Many times he would take his disciples out. Not only would he pray by himself, but he would bring his disciples along and, and they would overhear him praying. He would kind of teach them to pray in that instance. One time after the disciples were done listening to him pray, they, they actually asked Jesus, Lord, teach us to pray. Teach us to do what you just did. And Jesus was in that constant state of teaching people to take his place. This is how you have a relationship with God. This is how you face these different problems. This is how you minister to the people that need God. He was teaching. He was making disciples. Uh, Luke, 11, chap- uh, Luke chapter 11, verse 1 says, And it came to pass that as, that as he was praying in a certain place, When he ceased, one of his disciples said unto him, Lord, teach us to pray as John also taught his disciples. And so not only are they seeing Jesus and saying, Jesus, we want you to teach us, but they're also showing, all right, there are other people doing this. John the Baptist was teaching his disciples how to pray, how to to minister. In fact, that's the biblical model all through the Bible. Um, God needed someone to train, God chose to train Elisha uh, for, uh, for the ministry, and he chose Elijah to be his mentor, to be his disciple, or to be his teacher. Um, the Lord used Timothy in a great way, but God chose Paul to be his discipler, to be his teacher. And all through the Bible, we find people that are pouring their lives into others, just like Jesus did. They took that example of Jesus, how he brought people alongside him, and he taught them the ministry. We see that example all the time, and people that would take that example, and they would do it themselves. They would propagate themselves spiritually in the lives of other people. And so it, it, it presents a question to us when we see this, when we see what Jesus did, when we see what Paul and Elijah did. Are we being that type of person that trains people? And we'll get to that in a little bit. I want to I come back to that in just a little bit and, and visit that a little bit more. Um, but the third thing that Jesus did to be part of the solution is he sent out those disciples to reach the lost. We see that here in verse 1 of chapter 10. And when he had called unto him his twelve disciples, he gave them power against unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal all manner of sickness and all manner of disease. Christ chose to send out these disciples. He invested his life in them, and then he let them go. And he empowered them in very specific ways. And God does the exact same thing with us. He may not choose to empower us with the things that he empowered them, being able to heal people or to speak, uh, speak different languages and in tongues and things like that. But God has given us each a different gift that he wants us to minister in. I think of the series that, that Pastor is doing on the church and the roles that we have in the church. He's been going through how we are to use our gifts for the minister, ministry to the saints and the ministry to other people and evangelism. And it's such an important thing because God has equipped us 
to go out. He is sending us, just like he has sent his disciples here, he is sending us to make a difference in the world around us using these specific gifts that he has equipped us with. He has, re- he has given us the opportunity to reach the lost and to have the kind of compassion that he had. These are different gifts that he's given all of us. All of us can do those things. We can reach the lost. We can have compassion on those that are around us. Turn to one final passage with me, 1 Corinthians chapter 12. I want to kind of bring all these things together and have a couple practical things that we can learn from this. 1 Corinthians 12, we'll start in verse 27. Now ye are the body of Christ, and members in particular. And God hath set some in the church, first apostles, secondarily prophets, thirdly teachers, after that miracles, then gifts of healings, helps, governments, diversity of tongues. Are all, decide, are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Are all workers of miracles? Have all the gifts of healing? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? But covet earnestly the best gifts. And yet I show you a more excellent way. Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels and have not charity, I'm become as sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal. You know the rest of this chapter, how, how God shows that even if we try to minister to him in these amazing ways, if we give everything up, all of our possessions, or if we give our body to be burned, if we are a martyr for God, but don't do it with this love and charity, then the Bible says that it's all worthless in God's eyes. We must be doing things out of charity. And this is the example that God has given us. That This is the pattern that God wants us to follow. When we are seeking how to minister to other people, whether it be the people in our church or whether it be the people out there, God wants us to have this kind of compassion, this kind of love for them. Because I, you all know just as well as I do, it is so easy to minister out of duty. And that's what God wants us to stay away from. We do not minister to other people because, necessarily, because the Bible tells us to do that. We don't minister to people because pastor says to do it. We don't minister to people because it just feels like the right thing to do. Our motivation must always be because we love those people and we have compassion on those people. And that's exactly the example that God gave us, that Jesus gave us when he was on this earth. He saw those multitudes but before he ministered to them, what did he do? He, he loved them. He had compassion on them. He saw their need and said, I have compassion on these people. And he proceeded to heal, to do miracles, and to help these people, and, and to bring them to God, help them spiritually as well. So how, how can we do this? In our, in our lives as church members, how can we show this kind of compassion that Jesus had? I just want to bring out two things. There are so many things that we can look at here. I just want to bring two things out that I hope will be an encouragement to you tonight. And we'll let you go very soon here. I think the most important thing you could do, if you have not done it already, is to ask God to bring someone into your life that you can disciple. That may be something that you've never prayed about before, but 
recently, has there ever been a time when you've asked God, please bring me someone, maybe unsaved, maybe saved, somebody that I can pour my life into and teach just like Jesus taught his disciples, just like Paul taught his disciples. And it's a wonderful thing what God does. When we are sincere about that, when we have the desire to pour our lives into somebody, say, Brother Aaron, I don't have time to do that. I'm busy. And I want you to step back and think, are you too busy to minister for God? Are you too busy to follow this biblical pattern that God has given us here? Because all of us should be investing in someone, even if it's just one person that you can come alongside and disciple them toward God. Really quick story. I was working uh, two summers ago in North Carolina at a church, and I was praying, and I I was kind of going through some materials and things, and God convicted my heart that I wasn't really discipling anybody. Uh, I was working an internship at the time, and I was being discipled, but I wasn't pouring my life into anybody. So I asked God, God, would you show me a specific person that I could minister to? while while I'm here in North Carolina. And it was not long. It was before the end of the week came out that uh, I was kind of carrying some things out of the building. And all of a sudden, this guy came, random random high school gentleman, and he came up and he said, hey, can I help you carry that? Uh, it was kind of a heavy block or something like that. So I'm like, sure, you can help me carry these things. Um, so he, he helped me carry these things out to his car. And he went back to his car that was parked out in the parking lot. And I got to thinking, maybe maybe this is an opportunity that God has for me. So I grabbed a track and went over and, and talked to him with the track. And, you know, uh, he said that he was saved, but he, he, wasn't, he wasn't completely sure about eternal life. He wasn't, he didn't know that you could be 100% sure about salvation. So, so what I did was I, I said, maybe this is the opportunity that God has given me. And I said, how would you like to come over and eat lunch with me sometime? We worked out a date when we could do that. And God started using that. And that young man, he would come over to my house and I'd be able to work through some discipleship materials, just like we have in our office here. We have discipleship materials. And God, because I prayed and asked God to give me someone you know, he wasn't, he didn't stand back and say, ah, that doesn't matter. He's praying for somebody, but I don't want to give him anybody. No, God wants to send us people like that, that we can work in. And that story is not to lift me up or anything, but I'm just saying that everybody can do that. Everybody can find somebody who they can disciple, bring closer to God. And he just, God had me work in that young man's heart. His name was Dallas, I believe. And he had me work in that young young man's life just for a little bit, you know, just to the end of the summer. But you know that God, that was one step that God had for that young man in bringing him closer to himself. So at first, ask God for somebody who you can disciple. And secondly, use your gift in love to benefit the people that are around you, whether it be your church members, whether it be the people that you work with. Use the gifts that God has empowered you with in love to help those people. And I know that as we do those things, as we have the compassion that Christ had, he'll bless you for that. And he will make your life so joyful and so fulfilling because Pastor and I could both tell you we've experienced that. When you are able to pour your life into somebody else, just the joy and the peace that that gives you, it's, it's better than anything you could imagine. I hope that's an encouragement to you tonight. Have that compassion of Christ. Have that desire that he had to see souls saved, see souls brought closer to the Lord. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your testimony, your example in this area. 
I pray that you would help us to, to just find a little bit of that love that you had for people. Help us to exemplify that in our lives, Lord. If there's anybody here tonight that's not saved, I pray that they would get that settled tonight. If there are people here that need more compassion, more love for other people in their lives, I pray that they would find that tonight, that you would help them and grow them in those areas. Help us to reach out to those around us. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand with heads bowed and eyes closed. The pianist is going to play. And I encourage you, if God has spoken to your heart tonight, just come forward and ask God what he would allow, allow you to do in the lives of other people tonight. Has God put anybody specifically on your heart that you can reach out to? And if not, would you ask him tonight, Lord, show me somebody that I can reach out to. Show me somebody that I can disciple.